so that work is hard, work is frustrated. And originally Adam was supposed to have dominion over the earth. You see the very last line. To dust you shall return. The earth ultimately has dominion over Adam. The entire thing is turned on its head. The creation mandate is frustrated by our sin. So that's the first great mandate that we see in Scripture. And another, I would say, one of the greatest mandates that we see in Scripture is actually in the New Testament, but we don't call it a mandate. We call it the Great Commission. And Pastor Blake has mentioned this in the past couple of weeks. The Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, all authority is given to Jesus on heaven and on earth. And he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them all that I commanded you. And then he says, lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. This is how the Word of God and the message of salvation in Jesus goes forth to the nations. So that what I read earlier in Revelation chapter 5 can be true. The only way that men and women and boys and girls from every tribe and tongue and people and nation come into a a relationship with Jesus is by his church doing the Great Commission. Go and baptize and teach. In the Old Testament... It is the creation mandate. In the New Testament, it is the Great Commission. And very soon in our sermons, Pastor Blake and I will be looking specifically in the New Testament at Ephesians chapter 4. We look at verses 11 and 12. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So the goal of me and Blake and the session is not to actually do the work of the ministry. The goal is to equip y'all to do the work of the ministry Elsewhere, that word ministry in the New Testament is translated as service. My and Blake's and the sessions, our greatest joy is for us to to see you doing ministry. So when I see things like community groups taking care of each other and the pastors and the elders not having to do anything, when I see you leading Bible studies, leading prayer, 
engaging your neighbors in just being being hospitable. That brings a smile to my heart. So that we can focus on equipping, giving you everything that you need in order to do excellent ministry. So that's what we're going to look at. Now, the question this morning is, what does work have to do with ministry or service? On its face, it doesn't seem like work has anything to do with ministry, right? But it actually does. What does work have to do with ministry? Well, just a couple of things about this. First is, did you know that there's no real biblical distinction between what we know as the sacred and the secular? between what we know as work and ministry. If you grew up in Oklahoma or in the South, you grew up in the Bible Belt, and there's, there's, a, there's a culture in, in the Bible Belt, there's a culture often in evangelical circles that exalts ministry over work. That if you're a pastor... That's really a holy job. If you're a janitor, there's a sense of, well, your life doesn't have much purpose. Or if you're a missionary, especially overseas, that is the sexiest thing a Christian can be. If you're a stay-at-home mom, sometimes... You get the sense from evangelicalism that you completely wasted your life. That is not the case biblically. It absolutely is not. Because you have two great commandments other, uh, under the commandments of love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And that is the creation mandate and the Great Commission. And one is not more important than the other. Nothing in the New Testament abrogated, nothing in the New Testament repealed the creation mandate. It's still in effect. A lot of times as Christians, we look at the Old Testament and go, oh, none of that's for me. It's just things in the New Testament. That is not at all the case. The creation mandate is still in effect. So if you're working hard to raise your children, you are doing exactly what God commanded you to do. And it's not less holy, it's not less important than evangelizing to your neighbor. These are all things, this this kind of upside-down thinking has only been around in Christianity for about 150, 200 years. For 1,800 years of the church, there was largely a great value in work. 
and not work necessarily that you love and you enjoy. It's only been since the Industrial Revolution that people have really, really loved their jobs. Or even had the ability to do that. Do you think people in the 1800 years before that enjoyed picking cotton by hand? Or taking wheat and separating it and breaking it up? No. There's value in work, not because you enjoy it, but because God loves work. That's where we get our purpose in that. And I hope that that informs us in the doldrums of the many things that we do at work. For me, I hate administrative tasks. If you have emailed me, I will get back to you in about a year. If that. I'll tell you a secret, and some of you are going to be appalled at this. I have about 1,100 unread messages in my Trinity inbox. Because I hate it. We can talk about um, my own psychoses <laughs> about that. Now, does God love administrative tasks? Yeah, he does. We see that. That's exactly what the deacons started doing in Acts chapter 7. Taking care of widows, waiting tables. You got to be an administrator to do that. If they had email they would be using email. Why do you do email? Not because you enjoy it, but because God loves work. You can apply that to the many different things in your job, whether that be at a company or be at home as a stay-at-home parent. Do you like washing dishes? No. Why do you do it? Part of the reason is because you don't want your children to die from salmonella. The other reason is, friends, God loves clean dishes. Why do you mop the floor? God loves clean floors. Why do you do the laundry? He loves seeing us take care of the things that he's entrusted to us, right? There is no distinction, truly, between the sacred and the secular. Prioritizing what we think is ministry causes us to let go of this creation mandate and actually causes us to devalue both work and ministry. Most of my job is what we would consider professional ministry. It's no more important than yours. It's no more important than yours. How do, or how does, rather, the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and the creation mandate in Genesis 1 go hand in hand? The first, and we've talked about this, they are still binding. They are still in effect. And I can't say this for certain, 
But in the new heavens and the new earth, we will see more of the creation mandate than we will see the Great Commission. Filling the earth and subduing it. No one's going to get baptized in the new heavens and the new earth. Because the first is they're both still binding in effect. But secondly, do you see that both of these things, they are extending God's kingdom. The creation mandate is extending it physically. The great commission is extending it spiritually. You as a person, you have two parts to you. You have the physical part and you have the spiritual part. The material and the immaterial in theological terms. And if we want to love God with all that we are, body and soul, we need both the creation mandate to physically push back the darkness to create vaccines against diseases, to be a good pharmacist, to be a good manager. And then we need the Great Commission to spiritually push back the darkness. That God's kingdom would not only confront people in their bodies, but confront them in their souls. And Jesus would be exalted in that way. And I'll close just with talking about Jesus real quick. Have you ever thought about why Jesus, on his march to the cross and on the cross, was given a crown of thorns? It hurts. It was in mockery from the Roman soldiers, right? Oh, you're the king of the Jews. Here's your crown. The crown of thorns. How did God frustrate the man in the curse? The creation mandate was to fill the earth and subdue it. How did he frustrate him? Thorns and thistles. The reason Jesus was given a crown of thorns was because the very thing that became a curse to us, the thorns and the thistles to frustrate, to prevent us from doing the very thing that God has commanded us to do, Jesus took that on his very head. We were cursed. Jesus took that curse against us and he took it upon himself. The mess of thorns on the ground became the crown of thorns on his head. He became the curse that we might become uncursed. Friends, Jesus is the reason that there is a creation mandate because this is his earth. Jesus is the reason there is a great commission. 
because every soul belongs to him. And this morning, as we take the Lord's Supper, we are reminded again and again through the creation mandate, through the Great Commission, that not only did he command these things, friends, he bought these things for us. The bread and the body, they are physical. These things are elements of the creation mandate. The reason we have bread, the reason that we have wine is because someone filled the earth and subdued it. They made the wheat turn into bread. They made the grape turn into wine. Regarding the Great Commission and the spiritual nature of it, this is not merely bread. This is not merely wine. This is the body and the blood of Jesus given for us. There is spiritual significance in both of these things. Let that wash over you as we take the supper this morning.